You're listening to the following program on TFN Audio from the Fantasy Network, where independent creators and fans of fantasy, sci-fi, horror, and gaming meet to create, stream, and support the shows that they love. Creator-distributed, fan-supported, that's TFN. Find this and many more great programs at watch.thefantasy.network slash audio. Nine. When Jim opened his eyes the next morning, first thing he did was to flex his toes. When they moved to his satisfaction and the pain in his leg had faded from phantom pain to nothing, he swung it out of bed. Mercedes had taken him home last night and helped him up the stairs to his bedroom. It had taken a while, and she herself had been exhausted, so he had told her to feel free to sleep in the guest room. She was there now, softly snoring as she lay on the bed. He could see her through the half-open door. She had kept most of her clothes on, Jim noticed. Only her shoes and jeans lay on the chair. He lifted his hand to knock on the door, but thought better of it. Today, he would make her coffee. He went downstairs, still favoring one leg a little bit, but knowing it was just his mind insisting on it. After a night's sleep, there would be no trace of any injuries to his body. The burns were gone in minutes, and any broken bones mended in a few hours. But knowing that didn't make the body believe it. Flicking the switch to the coffee maker, he looked at his mailbox outside the door. The Chronicle was sticking out of it, and he was curious to see what they had made of the fire. He opened the door to grab it and unfolded the paper on the kitchen table. The article had front-page placement, but the details were scarce. Large photos of the burning museum were most of the story, along with the information that twelve people had died and another twenty had been injured. Police suspected a firebomb and were combing the museum for traces of it. He wanted to burn them, Jim mumbled to himself. He wanted people who liked the demons winning to burn. When the coffee was ready, he went back upstairs and sat on the bed. Mercedes opened her eyes immediately, but relaxed when she saw him. Hey there. God, how could you look so good when you got a burning beam on you last night? I feel like complete mierda, and I only breathed a little smoke. You inhaled a lot of smoke. Plus, you're not immortal. Benefits of the job. Does the job also make your hair look nice without doing anything to it? Because if that's the case, I want in. She put her hand through her long black hair. I reek of smoke. It's going to take a gallon of hair treatment to get this to smell anything like me again. Help yourself if you can find some in the bathroom. There's coffee downstairs, and I could probably whip up some pancakes. No, thanks. Coffee sounds good, though. I'd rather go home and change. Of course. I'll drive you. Later, after having dropped Mercedes off at her apartment, he drove back to the office. When he unlocked the door, he was struck by how unusual that was. He almost never came in when it was light outside without Mercedes sitting at her desk. Sometimes he wondered how he had gotten along without her for so long. The other unusual thing was the continued lack of spirits. He'd gotten so used to them stirring in the corners of the room that he almost felt lonely now that they were gone. 
His coat had been burned beyond use in the fire, so he was forced to wear an old leather jacket that looked like it had been last out of the closet around 1990. It felt odd on his body, stiffer than he was used to, and he was glad to hang it on the coat rack and lean back in his desk chair. As he lit a cigarette, he looked at his answering machine. This was one of the few pieces of technology he felt comfortable with, mostly because it was the old and reliable kind with a cassette tape in it. Right now, the indicator blinked that there were two messages on the tape. He leaned over and pressed the play button. The first message was from Inspector Charles. His voice sounded even rougher than usual. Jim guessed it was due to smoke inhalation. Hey, Jim. I realize you're probably not going to be in today, but I don't have your home number. I took the nails to the lab boys this morning and they looked them over. They said there's nothing they can spot on the markings of the metal. In fact, they told me it was probably an amateur's work. Same as the bomb. Just some gasoline and fertilizer. He probably made it in his garage or something. I'm sorry. I'll call you when there's more news. A pause. Tell Mercedes that she's one hell of a ballsy girl. Not a lot of cops I know would go back into a burning building like that without backup. Tell her that the girl she got out made it. She's in the hospital, but she's going to be fine. Mercedes might like to know that. Good job on you both. I'll be over later to take your statements. I talked to the captain, told him you were there with me, so we'll come up with some kind of explanation for the report. Take it easy, Jim. The recording ended, and the tape clicked as it fast-forwarded to the next message. Jim dragged on the cigarette, half-closing his eyes. The captain was in on this now. He wondered how much detail about their friendship Charles had shared with his superior. Hello, Mr. Corrigan. The voice was not familiar, but the hairs on the back of Jim's neck rose like bristles. I know we haven't been properly introduced, but allow me to do so now. The voice was cultured, with an East Coast accent, Jim guessed Maryland or Massachusetts. It was low, relaxed, and almost casual. My real name is unimportant, but you can refer to me as Michael. I, like you, am an instrument of God's vengeance. What the? Jim mumbled, leaning closer to the speaker as if the man sat inside the answering machine itself. I watched you make it out of the museum last night. Vengeance was struck on a lot of heretics, and the purifying fire burned bright. Jim could hear what he assumed was joy in the voice, perhaps glee. I could not let such a chance go amiss to punish so many sinners. People who rooted for the demons to win the battle of heaven. People who pay money for an image of the Dark Lord defeating the heavenly army. Such people must be wiped clean, Mr. Corrigan. But I realize you are going to want to hear more from me than I will leave on a tape player. I will call you back later when you are in the office. Goodbye. Hi, this is Arif Silverman, and I wanted to let you know that my radio play, Black Blade, is now available to stream on the Fantasy Network. The play chronicles the apex of a decades-long witch hunt and includes ancient forests, wyverns, and magic swords. 
A diverse cast of characters and team members tell a subversive, timely story about a world racked with political and environmental struggles. I hope you'll tune in. The message ended. Jim slammed his hand down on his desk in frustration, then rewound the tape and listened to it again. Michael, he mumbled. Does he think he's an angel himself? If so, I know where he can stick his flaming sword. The phone rang. Jim leaned the other way and answered it. Tempest Investigations, Corrigan. I hoped I would find you in now. Michael's voice was pleased. Did you have a good night's rest? You know, I'm actually getting tired of people asking me about my sleeping habits. You killed twelve people last night, you sick bastard. Not to mention almost killing my secretary and my friend. All for you to prove some kind of stupid angelic crap. I'll let you in on a secret, buddy. Angels don't kill kids as a rule. You do not know your Bible, Jim. Do you mind if I call you Jim? Angel slew the firstborn of both Judea and Egypt, not to mention David's and Bathsheba's infant. Or the forty-two children killed for mocking a bald man, torn apart by bears on the Lord's word. Children are often killed by angels to send a message. I'm not going to sit here and argue fictional Bible stories with you, you mook. I'm just going to tell you that I'll find you, and of course you'll find me, Jim. Why do you think I called you? Jim stopped talking. He looked at the phone in his hand. Jim, you and I, we are one and the same. I think you know that by now. There's a reason we are here. We have things to do for the Lord. I'm not working for any Lord. I work for $75 an hour plus expenses. Michael was silent for a moment before continuing, his tone almost concerned. Jim, you do know who you are, don't you? What the hell are you talking about? Of course I know who I am. I don't think you do. And therefore, it is very important that we meet and begin our mission together. All right, I'll bite. Where do you want to meet? Jim, I came to this city, the so-called City by the Bay, because in this city is the most unholy symbol of all. To be honest, I thought that was why you were here as well when I first learned of you. The most unholy symbol? What's that? The Hustler Club in North Beach? Michael gave a polite laugh. I assume your telephone is of the old analog kind, Jim. Otherwise, I would have thought you would have gathered it from the phone number. Phone number? I am calling from there now. I can't very well have a self-professed devil living and tending bar in a town where an angel comes through now, can I? Jim didn't hear any more. He was up from the chair, grabbing his jacket and out the door without bothering to lock it in seconds. On the street, he ran for his car, getting his keys out of his pocket in mid-stride. He used only a moment to lean over and open the glove compartment, getting his gun out and sticking it in his jacket pocket. 
as Mercedes had said to him earlier, even for an immortal, a shot from a forty-five caliber magnum would hurt enough to distract. The images he had seen in his vision were again filling his mind. He had seen the murder scenes, the museum, and a room with darkness and fire. At the time, he had assumed it was the place the nail had been forged. He had been wrong. He started the car and drove towards the Convergence Club.